in the little seat backs in front of you, so you can turn in your Bibles or turn on your Bibles uh, to Luke chapter 2, uh, as we're going to take a, a few moments to uh, take a dive into, the, into the, this nativity passage, this uh, passage which once again reminds us of the arrival of Jesus. Uh, there is a sense uh, that if you're a normal person, you are a part of the great throng of uh, people who need the weary world to find a reason to rejoice, which is uh, why I, I would like to introduce uh, again a, another facet of the Christmas story, and that is when peace came to town. Uh, a weary world can rejoice uh, because we are a lost people uh, in need of hope, and we find it in the person and the work of Jesus. A weary world can rejoice because we are often quite sad in need of joy, and we find that in the overcoming resurrection that Jesus accomplishes. We are often a group of outcasts in need of love, tired and worn out by the brutalization that the world gives to us, and we find it in the fact that God loves the world in this kind of way that He is willing to send His Son uh, on our behalf. Uh, you and I are a people that we are crushed and we are cursed, we are perplexed and we are confused, we are pressed down and we are found in chaos quite often. Uh, we are, uh, to sum it all up, in need of peace. But peace is often misunderstood as mere quiet and tranquility. If you are the parent of small children or you remember that season perhaps in your life or you've ever babysat a small child, uh, there is that moment where all you wanted was for everybody to be quiet, uh, just to sit still for 30 seconds if it would possibly happen. And you counted it as this moment of peace. But the peace that is arriving because of what Jesus does, is much more than just a quiet and neatly packaged life. Uh, if you will, join me here at Luke chapter 2. I'm going to begin at verse 1 and read through verse 14. Uh, the gospel writer uh, reminds us, "'In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, she, uh, the time came for her to give birth. And then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. There was no room in the inn. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. And then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, "'Don't be afraid.'" For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth 
and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people He favors. Now, this passage reminds us that there is a war that is going on. We don't often think about spiritual battle and warfare as associated with uh, the, the nativity passage when Jesus comes to earth, but it does remind us that there's actually a divide. There's a great chasm in between where we are and where the heavenly throne room is. Uh, it reminds us that there is this great gap in between where my soul is and where the glory of God is, because this is a passage that speaks very clearly where the angels make this announcement that there is peace that is going to come to town. A war has ravaged us, but also we have to count ourselves as partly the enemy within this war. We are both the enemy and the prisoner of war. You and I find ourselves in a very precarious and a very odd position. Uh, where it is that, that there is an enemy, uh, an enemy to the kingdom of God, there is an enemy to man itself, where uh, we have been taken captive. We are shackled and bound and chained. But then the Bible is also really clear that you and I are also uh, players and bad actors in all of this as well, Th that we stand outside of the gate, that we stand also as the enemy to the kingdom of God, that somehow we've been co-opted into all of this by our own bad nature and bad character. But I am reminded by this passage and the announcement that the angels make that a weary world that is uh, bearing the weight of sin and actively, uh, unfortunately, sadly and tragically acting in sin that a weary world can rejoice that God has decided to step in to answer this great riddle that we find ourselves in the midst of. In the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, there's a very well-known passage that often gets read at this time of the year, although it is really for every time of the year, where Isaiah the prophet makes a statement, God speaks through him, about what the Messiah is going to be. It says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he says, For a child will be born for us, and a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now, he is the very emissary that is bringing peace to us. The one who is offended and the one who we have set ourselves up as, as enemies to the crown, we're enemies to the authority that is found in God, we're the ones who are the rebels and the rogues and the, and the ones who go off the rails, we are the ones who uh, find ourselves in darkness and, and mankind seems to love to kind of wallow in it. We're not the ones who are going to be able to make peace uh, with the throne of heaven. And so God the Father, with the blessing of God the Holy Spirit, sends God the Son on this incarnational adventure of grace in order to do something about it. And the peace that is offered by Jesus is not just so that we can have tranquil houses to shield us from the chaos of our self-inflicted schedules. The peace offered in Jesus brings an end to the war that man has waged against God's very sovereignty. 
Jesus is the emissary of peace. We did not figure this out on our own in order to know what the pathway to God is. We did not somehow discover that there was a way that we could traipse up the side of some spiritual mountain, build a tower up to the heavenlies, and, and somehow reach the throne room, knock on the gates of heaven, and, and demand entrance because we've been nice people. Because we haven't been, and because we can't, and because we won't. Uh, but instead, God has decided in His uh, love and in His sovereign actions uh, in order to send Jesus as the emissary of peace. It, it is crazy. God, the offended party here, has sent the emissary out to convince us, the enemy, that the war must cease and, and that all we have to do is lay down our arms and, and, and accept the beautiful nature of who Christ is. The history of this is recounted throughout all of the Scriptures, and it is displayed constantly throughout the Bible how God is reaching out to rescue those that are lost in darkness. In the book of Genesis, we see the creation of man and yet our very quick falling away. We see the people trying to build a tower there in the city of Babel in order to reach the heavenly, and yet God's still making promises that I will reach back out to you if you will simply humble yourselves. Throughout all of the historical narratives of the Old Testament, there is constantly on the part of Israel, the chosen people, a, a desire for a king, a desire for treaties with other kingdoms of the world. It is a constant exercise in ego and arrogance and a power grab as to how can we cluster together enough wealth and enough uh, battle armaments and, and enough power in the world where we can find peace, and yet they never do because they're constantly rebelling against the one true king. In the Old Testament books of poetry like Psalms and Proverbs, Song of Solomon, uh, there is this search for meaning and, e and a search for eternity as there is in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, there is this bid for hope and yet always falling back into the hopelessness that all that the world has to offer and has been trusted in. In the Old Testament prophets, everything from uh, the major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah to the, the prophets that are in the clean white pages where the gilded edges of your Bibles are still stuck together in Nahum and Obadiah, uh, uh, there is this constant cry from God where He says, return to me. God, uh, to the rebellious people of the world, is constantly offering peace to those that are still taking up spiritual war against the one true King. But God, in His love and His affection and in His grace and mercy, He constantly says, but return to me so that my joy might return to you. And then we reach the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where the Messiah arrives, peace visits the captives, favor rests on the very enemies of the kingdom of God. Redemption has shown up in the most unlikely of forms, announced to the most unlikely of people, Jesus shows up in the humility of the Christ child. The Savior arrives in, in a small outlier town, and it is announced not to kings and princes and generals and the captains of industry, uh, but to people like you and me, guys that are working the third shift uh, among a bunch of smelly sheep. The Messiah arrives for just the normal people of the world. Through the rest of the New Testament in the book of Acts and all of the epistles, the letters that are written to the, the early church, we are told that suddenly the enemies of the crown become the ambassadors of peace along with the, with the Messiah. 
our, our lives are completely turned around. Rather than being upside down, we're right side up again. Uh, we're in a good relationship with the king, and we're learning how to live like him and for our attitudes and our minds to be aligned with the king so that instead of continuously rebelling against his authority, we get to be ambassadors of peace. We get to be compelled by the love of Christ. We travel along with him in his merciful mission to the neighbor across the street and the neighbor across the world in order to recount the tale that the Messiah has arrived. And then in the final and most apocalyptic book of the Bible, just simply known as the Revelation, everything gets made new in God's great kingdom. There is a restoration of everything. Every injustice is made just. Every wrong is made right. Every broken life is made whole and mended. And we are told of a great city where we will live for all of eternity, where there's no more mourning, there's no more crying, there's no more pain, there's no more death. There is no more night. Amen. And, and all of this is because peace has come to town. Because on, on a quiet, tranquil night, uh, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, stepped into the warm lake of humanity without barely a ripple and without barely a notice, except for a few shepherds that got to see a choir of angels and a couple of wise men, magi from a foreign land who happened to look up and read the stars as they were. When peace comes to town, however, we feel the tension of living in this world. When you accept the peace that comes by Christ, there's something that happens that we have to live through this announcement uh, that, that the angel says, don't be afraid, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people because a Savior has been born for you, the Messiah, the Lord. Here's the sign, it's going to be a baby. A baby? What are you talking about? We needed a knight on a white horse with a big flaming sword. We needed somebody of strength and power to swoop into our lives. We needed Superman. We didn't need a baby. But this is the tension of how God works. And this announcement, glory to God in the highest. Here's the first tension of three that I would point out that we find in all of this annunciation about Jesus' arrival, and the first is glory and peace. The announcement of God's utter holiness, that He is completely different from us. There is nothing that He is that we are. It says, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people. How is it that the glory of God can possibly abide among humanity, broken and marred and messed up, mucking around with the world all the time? How in the world can the glory of God possibly somehow find an abiding presence with us? But there is peace that is possible. There is a truce. There is an accord. There is a relationship that occurs between the polar opposites because God is willing to cross the divide with His glory, with His presence, with His holiness and His power, being utterly different from any other thing in all of the created and known universe that we have, all the way to the spiritual realm that we cannot perceive and we don't know all that has existed in eternity past. There is nothing like God and His glory. He stands solitary in glory and in perfection. And yet, 
This is the one who looks at you and me, and you know yourself, and I know myself, and he's willing to cross the greatest of chasms and the greatest of divides in order to come and rescue us out of the mire of our sinfulness, that this great tension, that the glory of God comes with peace to the worst of sinners and rebels. Uh, The other tension comes in, it, it, it drives it even further, of God and men. Think of all that God is. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is ever-present. He is morally perfect. And think about who we are. We are none of those things. Uh, we, We don't have enough strength to get up spiritually day by day. We don't know enough to get through most weeks. We are, not only are we not present, we are barely cognizant of what's going on in the lives of other people on most time, on most days. And moral perfection, just give up on that. I, I have a hard time not getting mad at people who leave their left blinker on for a mile going down Manatee Avenue. Thank you. I got an amen out of that. I appreciate that. It's called an eventual left. (laughs) But there is this great tension between God and men. He is the beginning of all things, and we are His creation. He is just, and we are utterly self-centered. He is tuned in and trained in on the idea that His glory is what everybody needs, and we are tuned in and trained on uh, our reputation and the collection of stuff on the earth is what will make us happy. Uh, thus, uh, when you look for a house, one of the number one things that people look for is closet space. Because you got stuff from your other house that hasn't been out of a box since you moved into it that you got to take with you. Because one of these days, you might need it. Let's circle up and pray for him. <laughs> there is this great tension that between God and men. And so the angels make this announcement about Jesus coming to earth that there is going to be peace that is going to be given to us, that the chasm is going to be bridged, which leads us to my, this third tension, it's glory and peace, it's God and men, and then there's a tension between heaven and earth itself. Uh, glory to God in the highest. It, it doesn't just mean a volume of glory, I think it means kind of a location. Uh, in the highest of heavenlies, in the greatest of places that we cannot conceive, the descriptive of the dwelling place of God, given to us in several places within the Bible's pages. Uh, God reveals it to us in some metaphorical ways uh, where we begin to somehow get a little bit of a glimpse of what would it look like for God to be in His highest dwelling place and in His highest glory. Uh, Isaiah uh, is given a a, a glimpse of it as he sees the the vision of God in the temple where it, it strikes him to where he has to fall on his knees and he can't hardly conceive it. We're given a little bit of a, a glimpse of it in the, in the New Testament book of the Revelation where the, the heavenly is described as a city uh, in, in human terms so that somehow we can get over the hump of, of figuring out just how beautiful it is. Uh, and you've heard some of these descriptions before. <clears throat> that it is a city that has streets that are made out of gold, that the gold is so pure that it's clear like glass. 
uh, that it has walls that are made out of precious stones. You know, so the things that we wear as jewelry and that cost a lot of money and are kept in cases in jewelry stores, uh, th- those things are so commonplace in heaven, they're just used as bricks. You know, a, a gate to heaven that is made out of not pearls, but a pearl, a pearl so massive. And again, if you could find a pearl that was so massive, you would make a gate out of it, you would sell it for a gazillion dollars. That's a technical term for a lot of money. Um, but in heaven, it's, it's worth no more than just uh, the, the wrought iron or the, or the aluminum or the, or, or the plastic that's supposed to look like metal that we use as gates in our homes. It's so commonplace. It's, a, a, a giant pearl is just a, a gate at the outer parts of it all. This is how magnificent heaven is, the, the dwelling place of God, and that, that the angels would say that, that, that the highest heaven the glory of God in the highest heaven is coming down to earth, on the earth where it's common and it's low. It is heaven versus the dirt. And will we allow God's will to be done here on the earth as it is in heaven as Jesus prayed? Not just in some kind of big judicial sense that that we want the justice of God to reign over us all. Uh, Not just in some kind of cultural sense that we want the morals uh, of our community to somehow line up with with the morality of God and the ethics of God. But would we be willing in hearing the cry of the angels to not be afraid but to know that there's great joy, to understand that there's a Messiah has come, that the very glory of God in the highest heaven is coming to the earth upon the people on whom God's grace will rest, that the glory of God and the power of God is not just coming in some big cultural sense, but it is arriving in a very personal kind of way, that you as, as, a, as just a solitary, singular human being, standing in the need of grace and mercy and, and the very presence of God in your life, uh, that you do not have to worry about whether or not your heart is big enough to contain all of the work and mercy and grace of God, but rather understand that He is welcoming you into His throne room. He's welcoming you into His kingdom, that He has opened up and thrown open the gates so that if you would be willing Uh, to understand that there is this great tension between His glory and our need for peace, between God who is perfect and man who is so flawed, between uh, the, the heights of heaven and the lowliness of the dirt of earth where we live, that the only one who can cross this great divide is the Son of God. And allowing God's will to be done on the earth as it is in heaven is not just a bid that we want things to be nice and we want our neighbors to be moral and we wish that the HOA would not be filled with whatever it is that those people want about my particular house, but that it is the opportunity for you to enter into the covenant relationship with the God who is there and the God who knows you the God who created you, and the God who has great purpose for you. What do you do with this tension? Well, recognize that God has come to solve this equation, that that these tensions between glory and peace, God and man, heaven and earth, are all solved by the person of Jesus, Uh, that when the time was right that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, 
and that He is the Messiah who we were waiting for. And a lot of us didn't even know we were waiting for Him. We knew that we needed Him, but we weren't so sure. And you can recognize that God has sent His Son to solve this great equation of redemption. For some of you, maybe you've already entered into that equation. You you have accepted Him as your Savior and your Lord. Some of you are still kind of, uh, you know, mulling over the idea, trying to get it figured out. You've been really good at attending church or Bible studies, and you've been present for religious stuff, but you haven't quite entered into the relationship yet, and it's time for you to cross that threshold. Maybe it is that you are finally recognizing that what you desperately need is the thing we all desperately need, is that gift of peace aware that it arrives within the circumstances often of chaos. Uh, I I would not be so foolish as to pretend that somehow you're going to get saved and then everything's going to get easy. Uh, any uh, Any of the people that are here in our congregation who have been believers and Christians for many, many decades would tell you uh, that it's not just an automatic, well, everything gets better. You become a Christian and and life gets easy. That's not the case at all. Uh, But here's what is the case, that in the midst of the chaos of life, you get to experience a peace that passes all understanding is how the Bible describes it. And there is a peace that has arrived to town that for those of you that are facing down a diagnosis that you didn't want to receive and you hope that you weren't going to get, or an uncertainty at your work or you're in your job place that you don't know what the next restructuring is going to happen, you know, in the new year, or if you just looked at your your 401k uh, in the last two weeks, uh, don't. It's not going to be good. Uh, That suddenly you're like, oh my goodness, everything has just gone right down to shoots. Maybe it's broken relationships in your family that you just don't know how to solve. You desperately want to rebuild that relationship with that grandkid or that cousin or that sibling or that parent, and you're just wondering, where am I going to be able to find peace? And, And peace has come to town for us. The Prince of Peace has. And we can live out the glory of God in the middle of the pressing problems. How? Walk by faith, not by sight. It is the constant call of the Bible. It is the words that that we hear from Scripture. It is what God wants you uh, to embrace, that you walk by faith and not by sight. Because looking around, well, it's bad. It's a mess. Uh, The world is in turmoil. And your neighborhood's in turmoil, and your family's in turmoil, and your own life seems to be beset and besieged on every side. And this is the moment where you have to just say, you know what, I I, I recognize that God is so much larger and so much more loving, and He delivers so much more peace and so much more grace and mercy than I could have ever imagined. As, as one uh, great thinker of our day has said that the gospel can be summed up in, in a lot of different ways, but one is that uh, God is more holy uh, than we can ever imagine, and we are more sinful than we will ever admit. But in all of that, Jesus bridges the great divide so that we can live in the tensions of heaven and earth, glory and peace, God and man, reconciled through six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus, who shows up to change everything. Because when He shows up, peace comes to town. I want to invite you, let's pray together for a few moments, if we, if we could, and respond uh, to what Jesus might be wanting to do in your life this morning.
As we pray, I'm just going to ask Lee if he'll just uh, play along with us just quietly. Uh, But let's just enter into a time, heads bowed, eyes closed, just simply laying our lives before the Lord. Maybe there is some spiritual decision that you want to make this morning, and it can just be that simple that it's just between you and God today. Father, I want to pray and ask uh, for friends of mine that are in this room. There are some men and women here who are facing down very unpeaceful and chaotic circumstances that they just want you to enter into the frame in such a powerful way that they will know that they're not alone. Lord, will you hear the cry of hearts, moms and dads that just want their relationships restored with their kids, or vice versa, kids that just want their relationships restored with their parents. Lord, would you listen to men and women who are uncertain about what's going to happen next in their life, and they are just begging for insight or grace or some combination of the two. In in these quiet moments, if you've got a, a circumstance in your life that is just chaotic that you would like to call out to God, cry out to Him for help and hope, just in quietness of your own heart, Uh, Just as we have a few moments, just pray about that. You don't need any magic words or spiritual words. You don't have to pray in King James English. Uh, You can just talk just like you talk to a friend. And just ask the Prince of Peace to visit you, uh, to work in your life. that are here this morning, again, just praying together, that you would say that you know that now is the moment for you to accept Christ as your Lord and your Savior, recognizing that in this Christmas season that God has come to earth, that He did live a perfect life. He did die for your sins. He did rise from the dead. He purchased your peace. If you'd be willing now to give your heart and your life over into the hands of God for your salvation, for your forgiveness, for eternal hope. Just cry out to God with a prayer similar to this. Just admit to God that you know He's good and that His love is forever. God, I know that you love me. You loved me enough to send Jesus, your Son, to be my Savior. Admit that you know that you've got sin in your life that must be forgiven or it must be paid for. God, I know I'm a sinner. I'm separated from you. I know I deserve judgment, but I thank you for your mercy. And then just make the confession of faith that you will trust Jesus is risen from the dead and that you will trust him for your salvation. Jesus, I know you died for my sins and you rose from the dead. I will trust you and you alone. I will not trust my good works. I will not trust religious activities. But Jesus, I will trust you. 
and I'll put my faith in your sacrifice and in your resurrection. And then just thank the Lord that He gifts to us salvation. Jesus, thank you that you have accepted my faith and that you will give me entrance into your family. Thank you that I get to be your child. Lord Jesus, I just pray for men and women that are seeking hope, seeking help, seeking life. Lord, allow them to be comforted by the powerful presence of your Holy Spirit. Allow them to know that there is a church that loves them dearly and and wants to walk with them through this life that at times can be hard. Jesus, we pray that in the moments to come as we give our tithes and offerings, as we give to you what you truly deserve, our hearts and our lives first and then gifts secondarily, that you would bless us with a knowledge of your goodness and of your grace. God, I thank you for men and women who are willing and able uh, to be generous and sacrificial. And I just ask that you would bless us all with a great sense of your presence. For it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.